I lost everything, you know, and I got super depressed and I came back home to North Carolina to my parents in Sanford and I told them, I said, hey, I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to come home for at least six months and kind of get myself back together. But as I walked in my parents' house, I heard dangers of the mind. So when I heard this, I literally went upstairs and wrote on my mom's, it was my mom's desk, I had a red pen. I wrote dangers of the mind out. Didn't know what that even meant, right? And I started writing. And as I was writing, I was actually crying. And it was every single attack against my thought life that shifted my progress. Everything that was really delaying me from being this entrepreneur I knew I could be, being this woman I knew I could be, it really hit me. And so I started thinking about strategies to say, what do we do once we identify these? Because we're, we're the victim until we identify that these things are struggles of ours. Hi there. Welcome to the Founder Shares podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Schmidt. I'm an attorney at Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. We work with founders and entrepreneurs as they fight and grind, stress and push to bring their visions to reality. We're inspired by their incredible stories of success, failure, reworking, and trying again. We at Hutchison get to see these stories every day through our work, helping technology and life science companies start up, operate, get funded, and exit. We want to share some of these stories with you, our listener. So whether you're already an entrepreneur, have an idea that someday you want to start a business, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from an idea to a success, or not such a success, well, this podcast is for you. Today's guest is author, motivational speaker, educator, and all-around entrepreneur, Kristen Hopkins, CEO of both Dangers of the Mind and Kristen Hopkins Global. I've had a chance to work with Kristen for a little over four years now. And in that time, I have always been so impressed by her constant drive and her willingness to keep pushing to bring her vision to reality. But in all my conversations with her, I never really knew where the drive came from until we sat down for this interview. But you'll hear more about that in a few minutes. What Kristen is focused on is how to make the world a better place through helping kids and adults with social and emotional learning, or SEL. For somebody who's not familiar, can you tell us a little bit what SEL or social emotional learning is? So social emotional learning is basically the attitudes and behaviors that make a person who they are in a nutshell. And so there's five competencies that are uh, followed by CASEL. And then the sixth one that Dangers of the Mind has incorporated through our Cheer of Change model. I'll share that with you. So there are five and there are self-awareness, which is obviously, you know, there's there's umbrellas of these competencies and the domains of these. So self-awareness talks about strengths and limitations, self-confidence, self-efficacy. Like, how are you evaluating yourself every single day? You know, we don't think about that. We kind of wait for a boss to evaluate us or someone to tell us something, but you can actually do it yourself. And that's the powerful thing for you to be able to say, oh, wow, I'm going to say rate myself from one to 10 and say, how have I performed today? How have I performed as a student? How have I performed as a, as a sister, as a mother, as a, as a a husband, whatever that title is that you that you carry, what does your performance look like? And then there's self-management is one of the biggest competencies because it talks about self-motivation, self-discipline. It talks about goal setting and organizational skills. And I think a lot of successful people have mastered those those skills. And so when you look at that, that's so important to, to just be able to know how to manage and regulate your emotions as well. And then you have relationship skills, which is foundational in social emotional learning, building authentic relationships, being genuine with one another, teamwork, you know, communication, all those uh, domains that are really important when it comes to relationship skills. And then we have social awareness, which is appreciating diversity. 
no one really taught us the importance of appreciating diversity. I think we're in a, a season of our lives or a time of our lives where it's, it's at an all-time high, where I think we have to continue to incorporate what does that look like? And not just diversity in culture, but diversity in industries. You know, I'm, I'm big on your network is your network. And so making sure that you understand that, hey, you don't want to just be friends with lawyers. You don't want to just be friends with doctors. You don't want to just be friends with teachers. You want to have a vast network of people. And that's what I have. I, I strongly believe in it. And a lot of my friends are in different industries. And that's what allows me to continue to be innovative. And then the last one is, what did I say? Self-awareness, self-management, relationship skills, social awareness, and then responsible decision-making. Really big. People don't understand that responsible decision-making is actually a process. Like you have to identify the problem, then you have to come up with the solution, then you have to reflect and evaluate. Like it's a real step process and we were not taught that growing up. So we thought that, oh, our decisions are our decisions. But when we look at them, it is actually a skill to make a responsible decision. And then the last sixth competency, which is the dangers of the mind based off our theory of change is civic engagement. I believe in each one, reach one, teach one. So we cannot do that. We cannot just hoard information, but we have to share it. I believe it's one of our social responsibilities, you know? And so that's social emotional learning in a nutshell, the quickest way I can say it. That was fantastic. There's so oh. much information in there. I could sit back and listen to you talk about it. How do you take that and turn it into a business or in this case, multiple businesses. What is it that you're doing with it? Yeah. So, I mean, I have so many businesses in one, so I have a speaker's business. And so I, I would say I, I was always an author first. So I created Dangers of the Mind in 2014. And I talked about the attacks we have against our thought life that shift our progress. So what does that look like? I'm talking about brokenness and fear and insecurity, inception and complacency and distractions and all these things that delay us from walking in our fullest purpose. And so from there, I was like, okay, hmm. This is interesting. So I started speaking about this because I actually was going through it in my own life, you know, mm -hmm. so I had to really understand as I was writing the book, I was literally getting over it. <laughs> you know, I was figuring it out as I was going. And that's probably how I've written all of my books because it, it was like, it's like a therapy for me. Like I have to get through it first for myself. And then from there, I was speaking. I went to juvenile justice centers. I spoke at colleges, schools, secondary schools. And I'm like, I don't like this feeling. I didn't like to just motivate people and walk away. Because you know how you have, the, you're on this big high from like watching like a Tony Robbins video or like Eric Thompson and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, wait a minute, like you forget or it just dies off. So I wanted to create something that was tangible, something that, that kids can actually take with them. And so I developed the curriculum and what, it was it's so funny. One of my friends called me one day and she said, Kristen, this is social and emotional learning all day, my book. And I was like, what? And so I didn't know what that was at the time. And so I started reading, I started researching, I ended up going to Rutgers, I got certificates, I did all these things. And then I developed this curriculum. Well, I developed a curriculum prior to going to Rutgers, but I developed a curriculum and it was like, oh, you're, you're hit, you hit the vein, this is great. So I was like, well, let me just go get the certificates. But I already had these, these foundational tools. And what I did was I took the dangers of the mind and I combated them with a social emotional skill. So every time you have a danger of the mind, like fear or brokenness, then you learn a SEL skill that will combat that dangers of the mind. And so that's really what turned into a business for me. And so when I had that aha moment, started doing the curriculum, the business, used, you know, was to obviously provide the resources to different school districts and organizations and nonprofits. So that's a lane of the business. But then another lane was me actually speaking. So mm -hmm. Kristen Hopkins Global, I kind of divided them where I speak because a lot of people would call me in just to 
specifically speak on like shifting the the need of high risk students to high promise stories through culturally responsive resources. And that's one of our taglines. And so I specifically work with a lot of kids that are in alternative schools with juvenile justice. And I've actually been pioneering in this lane. I had a really nice policy brief written on the company from Juvenile Justice Institute talking about the work that we've done in this lane, because a lot of people are in that are in SEL are not going into juvenile justice centers. And so I think that's the work that I really pride myself on because it takes time. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. I could have gone the easy way out and just went to a normal comprehensive school, but I felt like these kids really, really needed the foundational support of social emotional learning. Yeah. So, I mean, again, there's just a lot that that's in there, kind of where you're, you're at now. Maybe could you back up a little bit? Is, is this where you imagined yourself when you were a kid, did you imagine you would form your own business or multiple businesses? Well, no, I didn't imagine myself being an entrepreneur. No one in my family was entrepreneurs at the time. Now everyone is because I am, to be honest with you. Like my mom has an owns a nonprofit. My sister has a business. Like it's just, it's phenomenal to see this now because I, I started 11 years ago. So I had one good corporate job, PR for McDonald's, you know, my mom and dad was like, what is wrong with you? You should have kept that job. And then when I walked away, I was like, I felt in my heart that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But I will say I found a picture of me when I was six years old and I was um, I wrote my first book and that was like mind blowing to me. I was in front of a crowd of people and it, it said uh, like Kristen Hopkins author. It was like a crazy picture. And I'm like, where'd you find my mom had found it? And I was like, wow, that is so significant because I, I would have never imagined that I would be an author. Yeah, so even from the beginning, it sounds like you were creating content and then you know the business comes up around it, right? Yep, exactly. So you said you worked a little bit for just a short period of time in corporate, right? And then I understand you started your own PR firm. Is that right? Yes. So, so tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I PR was my background. So I graduated with a public relations degree and then I'm in education. So crazy. But <laughs> that's how life works. But I graduated with a PR degree and I love public relations still to this day. I mean, I'm very visual. I love layouts. I love branding. I think that it's important to brand yourself. You are your brand. I think it's important to brand who you are and then what you do as well. But PR, I think it will always stay with me. But I, I, I graduated with a PR degree from Delaware State University. And then I got, I was actually doing some stuff in China, 2008. I was working for the 2008 Olympics. So got a lot of experience, spoke Mandarin, lived there for nine months, got a wow. lot of experience. And, and like, that was like my background, literally. So I was like, this is what I want to do in my life. You know, so I went there, I was a journalist. I interviewed Russia and US athletes. And I interviewed Michael Phelps. He's one of the people that I interviewed. So that was a very amazing moment for me. But then right after that, I had this amazing resume and it was a recession. If you don't remember, 2009 was like the biggest recession. So I graduated college and I'm like, I'm never going to get a job, you know, but lo and behold, I would tell every college student to do internships, internships, internships saved my life. That China experience created such a eye-opening experience for me where when I came back, like you couldn't tell me I wasn't normal, you know, like I was like, oh, I'm out here above normal. I, I, I gained so many friendships from that. I, I believe that's why I got my job because they were looking at me and was like, oh, She's not afraid to take risks. Oh, she's not afraid to have hard work. I'm on the, the, the bus back and forth from Beijing, like the international site, all the way to my dorm. Like it was a lot of work. And then right after that, I went to Washington, D.C. and had an internship there for a PR firm. So with all that knowledge, I just jumped into corporate. I did PR for McDonald's for a year. I actually presented to like millionaires at casinos in Connecticut. It was, it was a crazy experience. I went, I used to go on like radio shows and be like, Hey, I'm here with the Met Cafe, you know, and I'm bringing Met Cafes for everybody. It was a really fun job. I mean, my boss was really shocked when I said I was leaving, 
but I just felt in my heart that this wasn't what I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. I felt that at a really young age and I had a little bit of clients on the side that I was kind of working with and trying to build some stuff up. And I just kind of branched off and my business partner, my former business partner, she was in Atlanta at the time. I just drove down, packed my car up, moved to Atlanta and started this new life. I lived in Buckhead. My first apartment was in Buckhead. I had a pool and a rooftop. It was like, yes, it was great. That's the way to go, right? That's <laughs> the way to go. So, you know, I gained success at this young, early age. And the PR company, we did a lot of stuff with like lifestyle. We did New York fashion. We would fly to New York and have clients on the runways. We do nonprofit organizations. So we had so much fun. But it was like, it came a point where I was like, I want to do something else now. You know, something else is passionate now. I felt it. Now, was that something else, you know, was just working for yourself or is that something else what eventually became Dangers of the Mind? Yeah, well, what eventually became Dangers of the Mind, I think that I was living a fast life, you know, mm -hmm. in Atlanta. I was living so fast. I was I was living on my own terms. Nobody could tell me nothing. I'm young. I'm bossy. I'm going out. I'm sipping culottes at the pool at three o'clock in a day. I was like, all right, you got to relax. I didn't have those self-management skills, you know, and so I was literally at a lot of events and my life was just going really fast and three things happened to me that were really, really important that I always tell people. The first thing was I was coming home from the club with my friends and they had car service. And so they dropped me off at my car and my friend lived in Buckhead, but it was torrential downpours and I insisted on going home. So I was like, I'm going home. I got to go home. I'm only five minutes away. My friend's like, no, turn up, still party with us. And I'm like, no, I'm going home. So I jumped in the car. I was on the phone with a friend of mine. This is about like 4.30 in the morning. So I jumped in the car. And when I say I literally was five minutes from my house and I saw a huge puddle of water. And so I tried to stop abruptly and my car hydroplaned seven times and smacked into a metal pole. So this is the first thing. Yes. Yeah, so when I got out the car, my car was wrapped around the pole. Like and a taxi driver actually came up to me. And when I, when I got out, he was standing right there. It was lights shining. I mean, those people like stopping and he felt my bot, my whole body. I remember this distinctively. He felt my whole body and he, he yelled to everybody. She's alive. She's okay. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what are you talking about? Now my job, I had been drinking. So I'm, I'm like, I didn't, whatever the impact was, I didn't feel it at the time. Right. So I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? You know? And so I look back at my car and it's like wrapped around a pole and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so thank God I didn't hit anybody, you know, and, and nobody was injured and things like that. And so when I, the, the guy, the cop came, he said, you know, I don't know who's watching over you, but you're not supposed to be here right now. He was like, so this taxi driver suggested that he would take you home. You can pick your car up at the, the lot, impound lot. I mean, it's, it's total. And so mm -hmm. I was like, wow. So the next month after that, my condo floods. So this is my car, my transportation, and then we have my condo. So literally I was bumping my hair one day and in my bathroom and I heard water. So I thought my dog was like licking up something. So I go into the, like the living room and I just see water like flooding out, coming out of the fixtures, light fixtures. And then I see water shooting out of my second bathroom. Then I see water in the kitchen and I'm like, oh my God, it hit me. My place is flooding. So I ran upstairs, I grabbed my dog, I ran upstairs and the guy had burst a vanity and the, yes, and it oh. came down. And so I was like, okay, this is the second sign. And then third month, my computer crashed. And so that's when I was like, okay, God, you're, you're trying to get, you're trying to tell me something, something you're trying to tell me to slow down. And so I literally, I lost everything, you know, and I got super depressed and I came back home to North Carolina to my parents in Sanford and I told them, I said, hey, I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to come home for at least six months and kind of get myself back together. 
And I had some opportunity for a, a PR client. He had some Zaxby's, so he wanted some PR for that. So I'm like, okay, perfect. I'll come down here, do a little contract, go back. That's so I thought. When I get down here, he actually found out that he got bought out. So I was like, okay, so I guess I'm just here. But as I walked in my parents' house, I heard dangers of the mind. This is what's so critical. So when I heard this, I literally went upstairs and wrote on my mom's, it was my mom's desk. I had a red pen. I wrote dangers of the mind out. Didn't know what that even meant, right? So then the next day I opened up my mom's laptop because I didn't have a computer and I started writing. And as I was writing, I was actually crying. I was crying because I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what I was writing. And once I kind of got, got under control and stopped, you know, crying, I literally read back what I wrote and it was every single attack against my thought life that shifted my progress. Everything that was really delaying me from being this entrepreneur I knew I could be, being this woman I knew I could be. And it really hit me. And so I started thinking about strategies to say, what do we do once we identify these? Because we're, we're the victim until we identify that these things are struggles of ours. And so, and I always tell people that like, you're the victim until you identify, but once you identify, you're no longer the victim. So you have to know that distractions are weighing you down. You have to know that fear is stopping you from progressing. You know, you have to know that brokenness is delaying from what you're supposed to reach. And so I had to realize that after I allowed that to be something that gave me a, a drive, you know, to say, okay, I need to do better. Then I had to recreate my atmosphere. I had to proclaim my vision and I had to prepare for the greater. So I gave people tools in my book to be able to, to step-by-step get over the dangers of the mind. And, and the title of your book is in fact, Dangers of the Mind, right? Yeah, it's Dangers yeah. of the Mind. Everything yeah. is Dangers of the Mind. <laughs> and, and so from that book, then you, you said earlier on, you started speaking and then kind of turned that into a, a curriculum. Is that right? Yeah. For, for kids? Is yeah, that- for kids. Turned it into a curriculum for kids, middle school and high school. Okay. And so how, how do those kids in, engage with your curriculum? I mean, is it something that you go in and teach? Do you train other people to teach? Yeah. So we do a train the trainer model. We still go in and train if, if they want like a one-on-one experience. Cause I do believe in that. I believe that having that one-on-one experience is great just because our curriculum is very culturally responsive. So that means that we are responsive to what's happening at the moment, responsive to, to people's needs. And so we do train, we have a five module or six module course that trains on the curriculum. And then we have an intervention kit that, that, started out serving in-school suspension. I created it specifically for in-school suspension, but now it's multi-purpose. It's school counselors are using it. We have it in ISS. We have it in juvenile justice centers, and now it's virtual. So we have an integrated virtual system where kids are literally listening to it through audio or they're responding through interactive activities online. So that's exciting. I feel like that those are actually like ways that that can reach kids more. So like kids are with our curriculum, kids are like writing rap songs about their brokenness and they're getting up and performing them. So we have so many fun videos that I've watched from kids that are literally like rapping and principals are like, these kids never really talked to me at all. And now you got them rapping, like who even knew they would talk to, you know? So it's really, you see the connectedness of the program and how it really allows a child to not only feel worthy, but feel safe in an environment that they can connect to. And it really grows that relationship with the teacher and the child as well. And we have kids jump up and do skits on fear. Like we have, so a lot of this is very right-brained, very uh, creative, very visual. I am right-brained. I'm not left-brained. So I try to create things that are visual and audio. And I believe in the multimedia theory. I believe that we need, that we learn better through visuals, you know? And so with my kids that are having behavioral challenges, these are the right tools for them that we found out. 
Yeah, and talk a little bit more about that. What's it like to kind of interact with the students? You know, some of them come from very challenging backgrounds, may not have opened up in, in other situations. Is there something specific about how you reach those types of kids or, or something about your curriculum that kind of resonates with them? I would say, honestly, it's me being me. It's sometimes, it's, it's, it's sad. I wish I could duplicate myself because people say all the time, like, we love your curriculum, but we love you more. You know, right. I think I have the a, a, a personality that just sits with people, which I appreciate. And I know it's one of like my natural gifts is talking and, and I actually really do love people. Like I love to be around people. You can imagine how this pandemic is, is feeling right now. Cause I, I, I want to hug my students, you know, yeah. it's little things cause a hug will go a long way in my environments that I work in. Like I literally, I walked into a school one day and I was just popping in. I, I stood at the door and they knew who I was because I came in for like an intro and stuff like that. So I, I, I stood at the door and I made them say one positive thing that happened today before they entered in and then they had to give me a hug. But the way their face was, some of them felt so uncomfortable, like giving me hugs, but others of them was so happy. Like their face was so happy. And I was like, when's the last time you got hugged? Like, I don't know, maybe like a year. It's stuff that you would never think of. But it's, it's the littlest things that make such a big difference to these kids, like just remembering their names and, and not labeling them. And that's why I always say shifting the narrative of high risk students to high promise stories. These kids are high promise. You know, these kids are at promise. They're not at risk. And, and once we continue to, to label them, that that sits with them and, and they hear us talking about them, even if they're not in the room, you know. And so we have to begin to change our language towards our kids that are troubling or in trouble environments or come from traumatic past situations because it's not their fault. It's generational most of the time. So it's really me just connecting with students and having those authentic relationships. And then I, I try to duplicate that with my, my facilitators. So I make sure they have like criteria that they have to check off. Like you have to be this person, this person, this person in order to teach this curriculum. Cause if not, it's not going to work. You know, you have to be really 100% bought in because the students feel that, especially in this generation, they will sniff out the fake and phony all day long, you know? And of course these kids are guarded, you know, they, they have trust issues. So it's like, once they let you in, you're really in. So you can't make promises that you can't keep. It's just a lot of little things, you know, even saying, talking about parents, you might need to say caretaker because mm. parents could be a trigger word. So it's just the littlest things to, to make sure you're considering when dealing with kids that I, that I deal with every day. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing. Just it, it's, it illustrates to me kind of the number of different challenges that you talk about, because you, you talk about, you know, social emotional learning and yeah. how we haven't learned that. So, you know, even those from some some of the most privileged backgrounds may not have had training in social emotional learning. So somebody who who's coming from a background where you may not have the same caretakers, you may not have the same opportunities to, to have to learn all of these skills. You know, it, it's just it's amazing the kind of work that you're doing. Yeah, um, thank you. So you know, aside from there only being the challenge that there only being one Chris and Hopkins, you know, what are some <laughs> of the other big challenges that that you faced with Dangers of the Mind? right now we're facing challenges of we're just expanding and so hiring and getting people on board and just really being able to do everything I want to do because you know me Trevor I am like an idea person I'll come up with something I'm like I want to do this I want to do this and really understanding like when the timing is right to do it because mm -hmm. I know I have like my whole life God willing ahead of me you know and so but there's so many things I want to do so many books I want to write so many inventions and, and just so much I want to do so I'm trying to space these things out. But I think that's one of the challenges with me because I'm a visionary. And I actually don't know if I told you, but we've started the Dream It, Own It Master Foundation. 
So it's a nonprofit that helps raise young visionaries and to see beyond their current circumstances. One of the things I saw lacking in my environments was kids are not dreaming because they're not being able to see beyond what's in front of them or what's around them or what's in their environment. And so that's something that I want to do is be able to help kids see beyond and dream. So what, what's that going to look like? I mean, are, they, are you doing mentoring? Are you helping them to kind of achieve those goals? I mean, what is the foundation hoping to accomplish? Yeah, so I want to do a gala in 2021, and that will be spring. Hopefully hopefully COVID is, is all, all set, but it'll be spring. And I want to do a benefit dinner where I'm honoring visionaries across the globe that are going to come to Durham, which I'm excited about. And then also I want to honor young visionaries, which are some of my brand ambassadors that I see the visionary qualities and leaderships in them. And then from there, we'll, we'll be able to, to do mentoring and training and doing a lot of things with different kids. Like our brand ambassador retreats we have, we'll do one for Dream It, Own It, Master It Foundation. Okay. And once again, as you said, Dream It, Own It, Master It Foundation? DLM. Dream I, It, Own It, Master It. I should have known. We got the DLM behind you. You know, no. always there, right? Always there. <laughs> So what would you say some of the greatest successes that you've had so far with Dangers of the Mind? What stands out to you? Well, one of the most amazing things that I've done with Dangers of the Mind is I've went to Ghana, which I love. So I've been there three times to teach my curriculum out there. We're actually supposed to be going in December. So yeah, we're supposed to go in December. I don't know. But I'm still thinking about it. I'm still thinking about it. I'm tempted. But we're supposed to go in December. Also, Haiti. I've been to Haiti, which I love. I taught my curriculum out there. And then we're supposed to be doing some really exciting things with Ecuador or Guinea, just just some other fun things in Colombia that we're, we're supposed to do, but we'll see with the COVID and stuff like that. But um, those are some successful things. Also, in 2015, when I first wrote my book, my friend who plays football, he had my book on the table one day and one of his friends came in and was like, oh, what's this? And he was like, dangers of the mind. And he was like, oh, this is dope. Can I take it? Like, yeah, sure. So he texts him, asks him for my number. And so I got a call and this is, this is, such a good example of first impressions are everything. So I got a call and I didn't even know who was on the phone. It was an LA number. And I'm like, hello, this is Kristen. And you know, and they were like, hey, I got your book off of your friend's coffee table. And I wanted to just talk to you. And actually, what, what inspired you to write this? So I could have been like, who is this? You know what I'm saying? But I was like, oh, well, you know, I just talked about what inspired me. He was like, this is phenomenal. He was like, well, well, give me, let me give you a call back in a week. And I, was, I didn't know what, who this guy was. I didn't know what was going on. So I called my friend like, who is this guy? Oh no, he's someone to know. So I'm like, what? So he called me back in a week and he told me, hey, we're going to, the Russell Simmons Foundation is going to buy 400 copies of your book and we're going to fly you to LA to Russell's house to give your books out and to speak for the Ethics Foundation organization or something like that. And so I was like, what? And so like literally in the next week I was at Russell's house and with all the, all the famous people, I mean, like people was just blah, blah, blah at his house, you know, and I'm in the kitchen just networking, you know, yeah. I mean, these, these people got my book and I mean, I was getting DMs like, oh, I read your book on, on, on the way, on the flight home. It's amazing. So it was a really amazing opportunity. And, and there's been several things like that. I, mean, I think one of, one of my high career moments though, was I spoke for Lake Placid and Lake Placid for a conference. And I spoke alongside Dr. Maurice Elias and he had been in social emotional learning for 45 years. So I spoke right after him and to see him taking notes on my presentation had me like, cause I mean, he started Rutgers, the school of social yeah. that I went to. And so I talked to him, I'm like, I went to your school, this is so amazing. And so it just was phenomenal to see how fast, you know, I've come up. And then also I spoke for International Social Emotional Learning Day. So the first International Social Emotional Learning Day, I was one of the speakers for that. So it's been many of successful moments, but those are some of the highlights. 
Well, that's fantastic. And you, you know, you, you touched on something that I wanted to ask you because you've always struck me as somebody who's just an excellent oh, networker. Because yeah. every time I talk to you, just like, you know what? I was having this conversation with this guy and now all of a sudden I'm speaking at his event. I've yeah. had this conversation with this lady over here and we you know we got her curriculum in that. But what do you attribute to that? I mean, how? what advice do you give to people who are looking to either be better networkers or what do you say is, you know, your gift as a networker? What, what works for you? So it's so funny you asked this because we just filmed a video on networking that's going to come in on our YouTube channel, Kristen Hopkins Global. But it's I love this topic because I think that people... Sometimes people are very awkward when it comes to networking. Yeah. You don't have to be, but because of the fact that it's just really about knowing who you are. When you're confident in your, who you are, when you're self-aware, when you know your strengths and your limitations, you literally can sell yourself. But it, the problem is when people go into network environments, they sometimes have insecurities. So they don't, they, they're not as confident or they're not as like bubbly or happy or just displaying who they are. You know, yeah. I know, I know a couple people that have to like, take a couple sips of wine to the head, you know, before they network. And I'm not opposed to it, but I will say that it just, you just have to know who you are. When you know who you are, and this is one of my quotes on our wall and in my book, it says, know your power so that your influence can live up to it. Mm. So if you know your power, you know who you are. If you know what you carry, then every day you walk around, your influence is living up to it. You're influencing people by the day, by the minute, by the hour, because you know the power that you carry. And so when it comes to networking, it's just you got to know your power so that your influence can live up to it. Yeah, that's great. So I'm looking forward to this video because I'm going to bookmark it and go back to it (laughs) (laughs) over and over again. Because, you know, no matter what business you're in, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a lawyer, CPA, whatever you're doing, you're going to have to network to kind of grow your business. So You have to. And on top of that, I think one of the biggest things with networking is building authentic and genuine relationships. Mm -hmm. And also allowing people know that you're trying to connect the dots. You know, like I'm not I'm not networking with someone and I'm not bringing something to the table. Like I already know what I carry. Like I know my power. Right. So when I come to the table, I'm already thinking about how can we work together? Or when I meet you now, I'm going to follow up with the email that says, how can we work together or position you as something that either talks about you or shows that I've done my research on you? That's Mm -hmm. a big thing for me because people will DM me all day and they're like, oh, do you teach people how to write books? And I'm like, "Mm, if you looked at my bio and you would have saw those are one of my coaching options. So it shows that you don't research. And and to be honest, a very professional people, it turns them off because it is like, now I know your work ethic. I know your mindset, you know? And so you have to be like, to me, I'm just on top of my game. When I meet people, I'm going to take the time before I just jump in and try to email you. I'm going to take the time to really research you and really see how does this benefit both of us? How is this mutually beneficial? Because sometimes we're always thinking about how can it benefit us? And that's turn off for people, you know, because they, they, they can feel that that's not genuine. But then also just making sure that you connect the dots, like the dots are really, really important for me. I'm just making sure that people understand what you bring to the mm-hmm. table. Because a lot of people will reach out and say, oh, let me pick your brain. And it's like, I, I cannot stand that. It's like a pet peeve of mine because I'm like, you know how much money I paid for this brain? You know, <laughs> you know how many books I read for this brain? You know, like yeah. so it's we have to make sure that we're we're coming into networking in such an organic and authentic way that it just feels good. It feels natural, you know. Well, and it's so much easier in some respects. I think, you know, it's when you try to be somebody that you're not or when yes. you try to accomplish something that's not consistent with who you are, that's when networking becomes hard. But if you're yeah. talking to people that you want to know and you genuinely want to know them. Yeah. And you express that and you communicate it and you tell what you can do to help them. I mean, it it makes it a lot easier, I think. 
Yeah, and you just reminded me of something. Also, one thing I want to say that people forget when they think of social emotional learning, social emotional learning goes hand in hand with character development. And so if you don't know your core values, like integrity, respect, responsibility, loyalty, whatever those core values are to you, it, it's the foundation before you can learn SEL. And so when you're going into an environment where, you know, maybe I'm saying, oh, Trevor, I love the fact that you love X, Y, and Z, whatever that is, whatever that is that I see that's a core value of yours, or you consistently stand on that thing, or you're consistently integral, you know, whatever that is. And now I can say, I can relate to you and I can be able to come to a common space with you. But if you don't know people's core values, and I tell this to, we did a little Instagram video or reels, a new reels on Instagram about knowing your three three friends, thinking about your three friends and, and knowing if you can spit out their core values. And if mm. you can't, that's a problem. That's a problem. And you have to really go think about it and say, wow, why don't I know my friend's core values? Because if something was to really pop off, you know, are they, are you going to have a shaky friend that's not going to have a foundation? Or are you going to know I can count on so-and-so because she's loyal? I can count on so-and-so because he's responsible or he's respectful or he has integrity. Those are really important. I think we stray away from those things. I also think of the opposite. Would my three friends be able to say what my core values are? Yes, exactly. I, have I communicated that? Have I been clear about that? Have you been clear about it? And I think that that's a conversation in itself, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to have. Because I think we, we move so fast sometimes that we don't realize what are what are our core values? And I think our core values change as we grow too. Sure. You know, and so it's like how how do we reevaluate those core values and see what that looks like? You know, it's interesting as we were as I was preparing for this interview, I was I was thinking about the fact that you know social emotional learning is really kind of a core part of your business, but so many of the keys in it seem to be very important to business itself. So how do you find kind of social emotional learning influencing how you conduct your business or how you interact with other people? Oh yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't talk about it and not be about it. That's like, and I, I learned that quick. Okay, I learned that quick. I started speaking about social emotional learning, and then I'm like, whoa, this is like coming back to my own life. And so I had to really start applying these things to my life. And I mean, my business, my mindset, everything from just having a growth mindset, it all like skyrocketed for me because I really put this stuff into practice. And I mean, not just with business, but with my lifestyle. We're working out. Self-management doesn't just apply when we're doing business. Self-management applies in our entire life. How can we organize our bills? How can we be self-disciplined when it comes to working out or a goal that we really want to have? Relationship skills don't just apply to our business. It applies to our life. How are, are, how are we building healthy relationships with our own family members? How are we renewing those relationships? What does that look like? And so I, I think that social emotional learning is like, the umbrella of my business, because when you think about it, everything functions from social emotional learning from, and then even with our, our gear, our clothes, you know, all that, you can still speak to social emotional learning. You can speak to that as well, you know? So yeah, it, it encompasses everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely has to. I think you're right that, you know, you couldn't go out and speak about it and have it not reflected in your own business, no. not have it reflected in your own life. No. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, cause I know you've done a lot of work with kind of some of these big school system. So if there's a kind of a startup that's coming in behind you that is trying to work with these institutions, any tips or, or kind of the struggles that you've had kind of trying to work with a big school district or a big institution like that? Yeah, I would just say follow up, follow up, follow up. Because they, they have so much going on. It's so many curriculums that they're working with, especially huge districts. I would also say just be very clear in what you want to. 
because sometimes we try to beat around the bush, but like you have to be straightforward with school districts. You have to, and you also have to come very well prepared. Like you should have a document that, that is a, either a PDF or a deck that shows everything you've done, the work that you've done, the data that you have collected. I mean, it should show where they don't have to go searching for anything from you. It should be one document that shows everything because what I've learned about educators and I love educators, but what I've learned about them is they don't want to do all that. They don't want, like they, they get very overwhelmed very, very quickly. And so just allowing them to be straightforward and say, Hey, on page one, here's this highlight, give them a little high level overview. I think is important. And then also understanding how important data is because you have to make sure that you are collecting the data you need for your programs. And I learned this the hard way because I thought that like the teachers would do it. Like I gave them the sheets and said, hey, you know, send those sheets in. We're going to even provide a link for you where you can click and submit it. And then it's like, then the semester is like, where, where are all the sheets? What's going on? And so I had to learn that I had to be responsible for that and really make sure that that's being pushed because it's, it's the significance of your program. It shows if your program is working or not. And it shows what outcomes your program really has. And do you find it to be important to have kind of an advocate kind of within either the school district or within kind of the institution that you're working with? How important is that? And again, maybe it goes back to networking, but how do you kind of identify that advocate? Oh, it's very important. I think that you need to always have a contact person, always have someone that you can lean on, always have someone on the ground level. For our, our company, we have success coaches, so they like check in with the program. But I think it's important to advocate for the programs that you work with, but especially in my environments because you know you could you you got kids that might cuss a teacher out and then the teacher got to teach social emotional learning and they like bump this i'm not doing this you know so you got to reel them back in you got to check in on them and it's important also when working with school districts that you are able not only to train on your program but you train staff on your program mm -hmm. too like when i say staff you don't just train facilitators, you need to train staff because the whole building needs SEL. The whole mm -hmm. building needs to shift in culture and climate. And if, if you got only a group of people that are doing this and everyone else is not modeling this in their own life, then it becomes, it, it, it doesn't become the, what you need it to be or sustainable. Well, it's interesting because you kind of touch on how important it is to have that holistic view. And I, I think you had actually said it in one of your recent podcast episodes where, you know, you can teach all these kids that in the school, about yeah. social emotional learning, but then they're going to go home. They're going to yeah, deal with absolutely. mom and dad. Mom and dad have like are not providing social emotional <laughs> yeah. learning. You gotta you gotta provide that 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 teaching to kind of all the caregivers. So how do you kind of from your model? How do you how do you approach that? I mean, it's a yeah, big so, ask. Yeah. So we have a a program or a forum called Less Talk More SEL. Started this last September in Hartford with the Hartford Public School District. We had we promoted in two weeks. Had about 180 parents come out. We had catered food. We had six breakout workshop sessions. We had the mayor, the state of state representatives, all these people come out. And we talked about, we had panel discussions about how do we embed social emotional learning as our positions, as a chief of police, as the mayor, as the state representative, how do I embed this into my job so that ultimately it can be embedded in the communities? And so we taught parents, and this is what that this is what we do with different districts is we go out and we, we wanted to do this even more now, but we want to now, of course, it'll be virtual for a little bit, but we go out and we teach um parents what are social emotional skills and then we give them packets on how to incorporate this in the home so activities and chores and games to incorporate sel in your home so that it makes it easier for them to be able to uh, build relationships with their kids 
That's great. It's so important too. It, it just seems like there's so many aspects to your work that, you know, it's, it's a big ask, but you know, you're going all directions. Yeah. And then we're actually about to do an HBCU tour, which I'm really excited about. And that's teaching college students about core social emotional skills. So that because it's about 88% of employers are looking for kids with social emotional skills and these kids don't even know what that is. That's great. And no, I'm going to, I'm going to spring a question on you. I didn't, I didn't give this one to you in advance, but you know, end of the day, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 years down the road, you're, you're done, retired with business. And you're just like, what would it take for you to look back on kind of your career, the business and say, yes, this was a success. I accomplished what I wanted. to. Impact. I need to reach like millions and millions of kids for me to say, this is it. I, I get stories and DMs all the time. And it just makes people don't understand. I don't even exaggerate when I say like this stuff makes my day. Cause I have an intrinsic motivation and I tell, I teach my kids this. So there's extrinsic and intrinsic and intrinsic is you do things because you want to feel internal reward. And extrinsic is you do things because you want incentive or money or things like that. And so what I do, I feel like I've mastered intrinsic motivation. Like every day I wake up, I'm motivated. I am dancing in my place. I am excited to start the day. I just moved downtown Durham. So I'm like, listen, sunlight hit me. You know, like I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to just be able to be alive and, and mm -hmm. walk in purpose. And so for me, I feel like it would just be the impact of changing lives and seeing the the, the seeds that, because I feel like the, these are seeds that I plant to people. Even when I'm talking and sharing information, they're seeds, they're nuggets, and I want to see them grow. And so seeing other people be successful, seeing my brand ambassadors start businesses and be successful, uh, seeing my kids, you know, go from being shot four times and now in college, like that's already mind blowing to me. These are things that make me feel like I've I've reached a certain level of success. Of course, I would love to see a certain amount of money in my bank account and in my 401 and you know, all those things. But the the biggest thing for me is is the impact. Yeah. Well, I, you know, as I sit here thinking about it, you really have an opportunity to enact generational change, not just like change for one life, but you, you know, yeah. if one kid learns this processes it has their own kid and kind of instills that into the next generation i mean that's long-term impact that's that's more wow. than a bank yeah. account that's more than a 401k that's you know yeah. changing people's lives so wow. yeah that's big wow i never looked at it like that no but so now it's your turn so we are the founder shares podcast yeah. and so i love to ask all of my guests you know if there's one piece of advice that you could share with another founder or somebody who is thinking about starting a business, and it doesn't have to be one piece of advice, but what is it that you'd like to, to share with other people? Well, I'm going to leave you with this quote, and it's a quote from my 30-day affirmation book. I love quotes, by the way, so I have so many. But it says, the position of your mind determines the posture of your life. And so every day we wake up, we have a position as an entrepreneur, like as just someone in general, but if we're talking about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurships are people that fix situations and solve solutions, right? Or bring bring about solution, bring about change. And so we have social responsibility to to what whatever that is that that looks like for us. So what I would say is that every day you wake up, you position in a certain way. And mm -hmm. in, in that way, it's like whether you are, whatever your title is, that's your position, but your mind is positioned in that way. So if you have negative thoughts, you need to quickly combat those thoughts with positive thoughts and start affirming yourself over and over and over again, and then determines the outcome or, of your life. So it, it determines the posture. So if we sit up straight, right, we're always sitting up straight or we could be hunched back. Everybody has different postures. So you got to ask yourself, what is the posture of my life? 
And then that shows you the outcomes of your life. That shows you, is my life positive or is my life successful? And so when we think about this every day, just know that the position of your mind, every day you wake up, it determines the posture, it determines the outcomes of your life. I love it because, you know, again, it goes back to that, you know, your life, your business, all of this is integrated. And so yes. you can't separate the two. And, it, you know, that advice applies to what I'm going to do in my daily life. It's going to yeah. apply with what I'm doing in business. Exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so that's my that's my piece of advice. And then and then, you know, just never give up. You know, it, it, the world gets tough. Entrepreneurship isn't easy at all. And I think on Instagram and social media, it's like this entrepreneurship is this new, this new wave and everybody's like an entrepreneur. And I think that's good and all, but also like entrepreneurship is not an overnight success. And that's what you have to remember. So when, when these kids or adults are just looking, oh my God, they're doing amazing. Or, oh my God, she's doing great. It's like, I always tell people, this is 11 years in, okay? This is not like an overnight thing. So don't let this fool you. That, you know, and only 11 years in, I'm here. I'm, you know, imagine 20 years in. Like, so it just shows you that it takes time and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So continue to, to just do what you do every day. Be consistent at it. Be dedicated to it. Be passionate about it. And it's going to happen for you. All right. Well, Kristen, thanks so much for taking the time out. Thanks for all that you do. I could talk to you for hours, but I know, I know. That you got some other things to do. You got you got a, a thousand things going on, so yeah. I'll let you get to it, but I appreciate it so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be on the Founder Share. I really enjoyed myself. All right. I appreciate it, Kristen. All right. Thanks so much. That was Kristen Hopkins, founder and CEO of Kristen Hopkins Global and Dangers of the Mind. You can find out more about Kristen on dangersofthemind.com. That's dangersofthemind.com. And you can find her book, also called Dangers of the Mind, on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. We think everybody should read this book. And in fact, if you were inspired by Kristen's story and want to get a copy of this book, just be one of the first 10 listeners to write a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we'll be sure to send you a book at no cost to you. Finally, if you're a founder or a business owner like Kristen and need legal advice, we'd love to hear from you. You can start by visiting us at hutchlaw.com. That's H-U-T-C-H-L-A-W.com. We have the capacity to help you with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to support you on your entrepreneurial journey. The show was edited and produced by EarFluence, and I'm Trevor Schmidt. We'll talk to you next time on the Founder Shares podcast.